0: the greatness of who you are, God. And I ask that you would help that become a reality in our lives here today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 9. The book of Mark, chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. Sometimes this whole, this whole Christianity thing, this whole church family thing, um, forces us to, to be awkwardly uncomfortable, um, and it's, it's good to be uncomfortable a whole lot of times. The truth is a hard thing to hear sometimes, and yet it's only by regularly hearing the truth that we're actually able to grow um, and to move forward. So this morning, as you turn, what we're going to look at is this mission that Christ came on this mission that He's invited us to participate with. This mission that His disciples were a part of, and wrestle with the question: of How low are you willing to go? How how far are you willing to go to serve Christ? How much are you willing to hear? How much are you willing to do? How much are you willing to believe? See, we were created to do hard things. God actually made us that way. These bodies of ours are incredibly, incredibly malleable. We can use these bodies to do things that are unbelievable. One of the best things about watching professional athletics is to see how these people have taken control of their bodies to such a degree that they can do unbelievable things. God made us to do hard things, and those hard things aren't just picking up heavy things or throwing balls really fast or running races really fast. God's made us to do the hard things of living with one another in hard places and in hard times, of of growing, of serving, of sacrificing. And folks, I'm going to tell you, He's called us to do what is perhaps one of the hardest things of all, and that is to take Him at His word, to believe Him. Believe everything that He says. To believe that you are loved. To believe that you are cared for. Believe that He came seeking the lost. To believe that you can be satisfied in Christ. To believe that the least and the lost and the lonely around us and among us are not in the way. They are a part of what God has called us to do. So if you will, stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. We're going to read through verse 37. And they this is Jesus and his disciples now. um, You remember last week we saw the disciples lose an argument with a group of scribes and Pharisees. Folks, have you ever noticed that losing a fight is sometimes the best thing that could ever happen to you? It's pretty good for the disciples. It's humbling. And here we see them continuing on. Verse 30, They went on from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child. And put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would receive Jesus and his teachings and his truth. That, Father God, we'd be willing to face the hard things, knowing that you have called us to it, you will carry us through it, You are enough. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus told of his coming death and resurrection, but here we see the disciples squabbling over who is going to be the greatest among them. I don't know. This is this the only way and I know that some of you get tired of hearing me use parenting examples, but but the only way I know to describe this is with a parenting example. Otherwise, I've got to offend a bunch of y'all because I've got to explain how this works as a pastor and other people. So y'all can choose. I can either talk about my parenting or my pastoring, one or the other. But if you've ever been a parent or a pastor, then you understand that sometimes you're having a conversation and you're having, you're, you're, you're even trying to teach and the people that you're trying to speak to suddenly completely change the subject. All of a sudden that which you've been trying to talk about seems to have gone completely over their head and they want to talk about the weather tomorrow, dinner tonight. We love this at our house, eating dinner and having this happen. What's for breakfast in the morning? Can we just focus on the situation at hand? Sometimes our kids get way on ahead of us. They're not even talking about breakfast. They want to know what's for dinner tomorrow night. We don't even know what we're going to have for late night snacks. Here we got a situation where Jesus has come down off the mountain of transfiguration. Remember, they come down off the mountaintop. He walks up. The disciples are losing an argument with the scribes and the Pharisees. Folks, I want you to know that sometimes the best thing that can happen in your life is to lose. Sometimes the best thing that can happen in your life is to lose. Lose an argument, lose a fight, lose a business deal. Because it's sometimes in that losing that we, be, we can be reminded that we don't have it all figured out and we need help. They're losing an argument. Then Jesus encounters this man. You'll remember. The man comes and says, Jesus, if you can heal my son, that'd be great. Jesus says, if, if I can. All things are possible for him who would believe. The Bible says that the man says, I believe. Jesus says, well, let's get this done. Jesus speaks to the man. He speaks to the boy, this, this child. And we were reminded last week that God hears the prayers of his people. We were reminded last week that even when you can't pray for yourself, you can be blessed to have others who will pray because God is willing to even answer prayers on our behalf offered by somebody else. This is why you don't quit praying for your children. This is why you don't quit praying for your grandchildren or your grandparents or your parents. You don't quit praying for that long, long friend that's never get, given his life to Christ. You don't quit play, praying for that husband. You keep it up because God hears the prayers of his people. The Bible says that this man prayed, and when this man prayed, the Bible says that God healed, or Jesus healed his son right there. Boom. The Bible says it was terrifying. Jesus healed him, and it looked like he killed the boy. He laid there dead. But Jesus lifted him up and restored him to his father. And he goes back, and his disciples are so overwhelmed, and they're just defeated. And they sit back around the room, and they go, oh, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus says, because you had it all figured wrong. You thought that if you just said what I said or did what I did, it would all, fi- it'd all work out. He says, the only way to cast out a demon like this is through prayer. Jesus said it wasn't about saying the right words. It was about having the right connection with Him. And we talked about how, and some of you talked about it again in Life Group this morning, how with, with just the amount of faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could move a mountain. Why can you move a mountain? Because it's not the, matter of, the amount of faith that matters. It's the size of your God who matters. And so we come all the way down, and they've had all this, and the disciples are sort of defeated. They're sort of walking with their heads down, and, and Jesus just Jesus going on about his business. He's trying to get them to another place. They're on the way from there. They pass through Galilee. Jesus doesn't want them because Jesus is teaching his disciples. There comes a point in time when Jesus has to turn away from the crowds, and he has to invest in those who are going to lead the church. And Jesus has his twelve, and they're walking. Now, as they're walking in this day and time, you've got to understand that, that a first-century disciple wouldn't have walked side by side with his teacher, with his rabbi. Y'all keep that in mind. If we're going anywhere, y'all get behind me. Um, And so they're walking, and they're not walking side by side. They're walking in a line. The footpaths would have been small through many places here, so they may have been walking single file. And as they're going along, the Bible says the disciples begin to argue. And they begin to argue with one another. And and as they argued, they said this. They said, hey, which one of us is, is the greatest? Well, Jesus is not deaf. He's got like mother hearing, and y'all know what I'm talking about when I say mother hearing. My wife hears things that I didn't even know. Like they they just happen in in three other rooms, and and a mom can hear it. It's amazing. So they're walking, and they're talking, and Jesus says, what were y'all talking about? All of a sudden, they become the dumbest human beings on the face of the planet. I don't know. We were, Jesus,
1: what's for dinner, Jesus?
0: Bible says they kept silent for on the way they'd argued with one another about who was the greatest. And then the Bible says he's going to sit them down and he's going to handle all this. Folks, what's it look like to follow the Lord? What's it look like to not misunderstand the mission? How low are we willing to go in following Jesus? I'm going to take you all the way to the end of the sermon, then we're going to come all the way back to the beginning. But I'm going to take you to the very last thing. Do you know that Jesus did not die to make you powerful? He didn't die to give you glory and honor. He died to make you his. And he died to take you from death to life, from alien to orphan. And he died to set the world right, and he starts with you. He didn't die to make you happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. He didn't come to this earth to give you everything that you and I ever wanted. He came to adopt us as his own. And the disciples didn't fully get it. But before we're too hard on them, let's jump right in here and let's see why it is that disciples may have been confused. And why it is that sometimes you and I can be confused. Because, you see, sometimes the reasons that we can get confused is because we don't actually listen. One of my greatest faults in all the world is that I interrupt people. My wife is very willing to talk to y'all about that. I don't mean to, but I just do. Ladies, just stare at me. Don't do this to your husbands right now. I saw that. Like eight of you went... He's looking back at you, but he's afraid. Listen, so I I have a bad tendency to listen to the first three sentences and then to assume I got... Don't. Y'all quit staring at me like this. Y'all looking down at your Bibles. And then I just assume I got the rest of it figured out, and I go ahead and I fix the problem. Some of you men understand because we're fixers. Right? And so I go on and I fix the problem, and, and then I get... Why did you interrupt me? I didn't even know I did. Like, I, what? I don't, I don't know. Because I, I wasn't listening hard enough. Wasn't listening well enough. James 1.19 says, My beloved brothers, let each person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Folks, let me urge you this morning to listen to Jesus even when it's hard. Listen even when it's hard. Listening is not always easy. Luke Talbert texted me last week. He said, I, I'm having a bad day. Can I call you tomorrow? I said, yeah, give me a call. He said, I just need to talk to you. You know what I did? I flossed my teeth while I listened to him. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm listening to you. He said, yeah, but you're not talking. Why are you listening? I said, I'm flossing my teeth. He said, that is ingenious. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard just to keep our mouths shut. Sometimes listening is not always easy. Often it's not just our spouse or our children or our friends. Often we interrupt God. We hear the part of God's Word that we want to hear, and then we move on. We act on our assumptions instead of listening to God's Word. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus said some pretty hard things right here. Things that the disciples no doubt didn't like to hear. Let's just go all the way back to verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men, and then they will kill Him, and when He is killed, after three days, He will rise. Now, this is a hard thing for them to hear, but folks, this is not a hard thing for them to understand, right? Pay attention. It says, but they did not understand. Y'all, the disciples are not so dull that they can't understand plain language. Jesus says, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead. Bible says they didn't understand. Folks, why didn't they understand? I'm going to suggest to you, sometimes we don't understand God's word, not because God's word is not understandable, because we just don't really want to hear it. We don't want to know the truth. The truth is hard for us to wrestle with. They didn't understand because they did not want to understand. Folks, when's the last time that you read a hard word of, of Jesus and you just said, man, thank you? Oh, they sting. And oftentimes we don't run to this word because we don't want to know what it says. Like the person who avoids the doctor all of their life, not because they don't know there's something wrong, but because they know that if they go, they're going to find out What is wrong? Folks, we avoid the truth because the truth hurts. Had a ministry friend that failed once. Had a ministry friend that lost his ministry because of years of of, of sinful and and, and, and wrong decisions that he had made. As as, as ministry colleagues, we sort of are are a fraternal group of guys. But over time, that 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 bond that we have it, it gets spread out geographically. And so we might have all been in a class or in some place together once upon a time. But over time, we're not near one another. I got a call said, hey, this friend of ours, I'm concerned for him. Greg, you're the closest. You need to go and talk to him. And so I did. I made an appointment. I drove and I went and I sat down and my heart sank. As he confessed to me years of sinful neglect. Years of wrong and stupidity. I still remember that day. I sat there as he wept. I hugged him. I prayed for him. I spoke the truth. I was honest. And I got in my truck and I left. And I drove back to Camden. I pulled into 416 Alice Drive and I turned the truck off. And all of a sudden, the impact of those words washed over me. Up to that point, I had been able to deny sort of the truth of the scenario. But as I put my truck in the park, and I looked through the window of my kitchen, and there was my wife and at that time my two children, and I realized that if I were not careful, if I were not vigilant, if I were stupid, that I could lose that, and I could lose this. And in that place, I just wept. I just cried like a baby. Angela came and found me in my truck. She doesn't used to seeing me cry. She said, "What in the world's wrong with you?" I couldn't even get words. I'm just blubbering. Folks, the truth is hard because sometimes the truth just cuts us deep and it hurts. The disciples didn't understand because they didn't want to understand. You see, the disciples understood something else. The disciples understood that they were longing for a Messiah. They had been looking for hundreds of years as the Jewish people for God to send a rescuer, a redeemer. They were anticipating his arrival. And they understood that when Jesus came onto the scene, Jesus looked like the one they had been waiting for. You see, Jesus came as a prophet and they were hoping for that. Jesus gathered people around them and they loved him and they were hoping for that. Jesus spoke against the ruling class of his time and they were excited about that. And then Jesus did something that was unbelievable. Jesus selected 12 disciples. Everyone in that era knew exactly what Jesus said when he selected 12 disciples. We don't fully grasp that. Because we just go, oh, 12 is a pretty good number. But the reason that Jesus selected 12 disciples is because there had originally been 12 tribes of Israel. After Solomon's death, Israel divided into the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, with two tribes, and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, with ten tribes. In 722, the Assyrians invaded the southern kingdom, and they carried them all off into exile. And in that moment, in that day, the ten tribes of southern Israel were lost. We lost the genealogical record. The Jewish people cling to their genealogical record. But in that time, the tribes were lost. They were sort of of molded and mishmashed up into one group. And instead of becoming this tribe and that tribe, they just become the Israelites who were carried off in exile. And so the anticipation of the Messiah is that when he came, he would not only throw off the shackles of Rome, the anticipation was that the Messiah would reconstitute the people of Israel. Just as God had called the 12 tribes out, the new Messiah would constitute the 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus did just that. He selected 12 disciples. And each one of these disciples knew what the anticipation was. And each one of these disciples were ready, ready to brandish their swords and to go up against the Roman Empire. Each one of these were ready to serve their king and to assume their place in the kingdom on the throne. As Jesus rose to power, they were ready to be seated in his royal entourage. And instead, Jesus says, the Son of Man must die. And they said, I don't get it. They said, no, this can't be. Jesus, don't you understand? You're going to overcome Rome. You're going to give us a place. And so this is why they're arguing with one another. Because they believe that Jesus selected them to be men of power and of prestige. And they're arguing along the way. Why might they have been arguing? Let's just think about it. They're sinful. We tend to sort of immortalize the disciples, but three of them had gone with Jesus up a mountain. Those three had come back down the mountain, and they saw the other nine just getting completely handled by this group of Pharisees and scribes. And as they come down that mountain, and those other three are there, maybe the other three are going, if I'd have been there, y'all been there, right? If I'd have been there, that would have never happened. You know, Peter, we know he can't keep his foot out of his mouth anyway. Maybe Peter's walking along going, look here, y'all get behind me. I'm going to be up here next to Jesus. Why, Peter, why why aren't you not at the back of the line, Peter? You're the one that's always in trouble, Peter says. He took me up the mountain. I'm the one that said I'd build him a tabernacle. And then we come down here and y'all have embarrassed all of us. Y'all get in the back of the line. Folks, listen to me. We've got to listen even when it's hard. The Disciples knew that Jesus was reconstituting the people of God, creating a new nation of Israel, but they didn't listen. The disciples allowed their preconceived notions about what God should do to dim their eyes to the reality of what God was actually doing. Have you done that? Let's back up. How have you done that? How many times have you done that? How many times have you developed an understanding or an idea of who God is or what God should do? And you've been unwilling to allow this Bible to actually shape or change your views. Because we don't like what it has to say. What are the things in God's Word that you don't like? There are things in here that rub up against us the wrong way sometimes. But, folks, when they rub up against us, we're faced with two options. We either surrender to what God's Word has to say or we decide that we know better. Now, if I called for a show of hands, none of you would, probably none of you would raise your hands today and say that you believe you know more than God's Word does. And yet, how often do our actions suggest otherwise? Hearing the truth is hard, but we've got to be willing to listen to it even when it's hard. Number two this morning, ask the hard questions the disciples were afraid to ask Jesus. Why? Could y'all smile? and be good. Appreciate it. Why? Why? Maybe they were afraid of the answer they'd get. If I'm right in what I've suggested so far, their fear was probably wrapped up in their assumptions of what Jesus actually meant. Perhaps, though, they were afraid to ask Jesus questions because they didn't want to let him down. Folks, can I tell you something that you can ask hard questions of Jesus and it'll be just fine. You can ask hard questions of Jesus and it will be just fine. Are you afraid this morning? Are you? Ask Jesus if he loves you. It's okay. Go to him with your questions. Do you come in here today and wonder if there actually is a God? Ask him. Ask others. Run to the Bible and ask hard questions. Do you wonder if this word is trustworthy? Run to it. Run it through the ringer. Ask it hard questions. Don't be afraid. Remember, God loves you. His desire is to seek and to save the lost. You ready for this? He is not ashamed of you. That is one of my favorite truths of God's Word. It is one of my favorite truths of God's Word. He's not ashamed of you. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. I don't have to understand. The story of the woman at the well is one of my favorites because Jesus doesn't clean her up and then send her back. He doesn't take her off to school and get her all polished up and send her somewhere to get a a makeover and new clothes. Jesus sends her back as an outcast in her community and says, you tell them you're with me. You tell them, you tell them Jesus sent you. And she struts back into town and, and she says, I met somebody. And everybody goes, well, of course you met somebody. You've been meeting somebody your whole life. She says, no, 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 it's not like that. And surely there was some mean woman on the other side that, don't listen to that woman. You know who she is. And she says, that's who I was, but you don't understand anything about me. Somebody says, well, why would would a good man want to be seen with you? And she says, I have no idea. But if you will come and meet him, he'll change your life too. Jesus isn't ashamed of you.
1: He's not afraid to be
0: associated with you. I had another friend who made some huge mistakes in his life once upon a time. And I'll never forget, as we, as we talked about those things and, and as I confronted him in those things, and he said, I'll understand if you can't be seen with me anymore. He said, you know, in, with your role, I'll understand. I said, brother, last time I checked, you still need a friend. I'll not be ashamed to be seen with you if you won't be ashamed of me. Folks, Jesus isn't ashamed of you. Anyway, move along. So, so can we ask those questions? Yes. Why didn't the disciples ask the questions? Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were afraid that Jesus would look down on them. They'd been with him all this time. And they still had not gotten it all figured out. And he says, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. Maybe some of them just said, we ought to know all this, but we don't. So I'm just not going to ask because I don't want to know. Folks, ask the hard questions. Ask them and be ready to receive an answer. Parents, listen to me. Urge your kids to ask the hard questions. Sometimes we lose people. Sometimes we lose young people. Not because the Bible doesn't provide good answers or because the church doesn't have answers or because we as parents don't have good answers. Sometimes we lose them because we're afraid of the hard questions. We shut them down. Folks, don't shut your kids down when they ask you hard questions. When they ask you hard questions about heaven or hell or salvation... When they ask you hard questions about sexuality or relationships. When they ask you hard questions. Some of your kids have seen the church abuse others. When they say, why would the church behave that way? Don't be afraid of it. Deal with it. Go to them. Answer the questions. And if you don't have the answers, that's okay. Find someone who does. Get some help. But folks, we've got to be ready to receive the truth. See, it comes back around to our first point. We have to listen even when it's hard. We begin with listening We respond with questions, but then we have to come all the way back around to the listening. You see, there's a difference between asking questions to find answers and asking questions to avoid answers. Right? There's a difference between asking questions to find answers and asking questions to avoid answers. We have a tendency to sometimes move the target all over the place. Well, if God loved me, then why would this happen? Well, let me talk to you about that. Well, what I really want to talk about is this. Well, let me talk to you about that. Well, what I really want to talk to you about is this. Well, you know, the church is just full of hypocrites. <laughs> it's where we always go once I've answered everybody else's questions. I say, "Well, am I a hypocrite?" And then the conversation tends to go south. There's a difference between asking questions to receive answers and asking questions to avoid answers. Folks, I want to urge you to be comfortable. The disciples didn't ask. They were afraid. What have you got to be afraid of? He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He is a loving heavenly Father. Every once in a while, our children, one of them, especially our little ones, they're, they're still kind of funny about it. They'll walk in, they'll say something like, I, I want to say something to you, but I'm afraid. Okay, what, what are you afraid of? You know, I've I've never beat you. You know, I mean, we're not gonna exile you to the outer darkness. Well, I'm, I'm just afraid. Okay, well, you got nothing to be afraid of. What's the matter? (sighs) Well, I I don't really like that pillow in my bed, and I just wanted to tell you. What? (laughs) Like that's what you were afraid of? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you be afraid to go to a father who loves you unconditionally? Say, Father, I have some
1: questions. I don't understand. Ask hard
0: questions, and then finally this morning, do hard things. Look here, I want you to hold on because there's not going to seem like a whole lot of grace in this message till we get to the end, okay? But it's coming. It's coming a promise. You know, when we move into verses 33 through 37, we get some really good insight. You see, this is why I believe that the disciples didn't want to know the whole truth. It's because of verses 33 through 37. See, the disciples really liked the idea of a kingdom where they could rule. They really liked it. They liked to be in charge. They liked power. These are guys who have lived under the thumb of Roman oppression their whole life. And they've got their comic book hero kind of moment laying in front of them. They're going to come up. They're going to ride a white horse. They're going to overthrow Rome. And then they're going to sit on their thrones with Jesus. So the disciples have begun to count their chickens long before they've hatched as they argue over who's going to be the greatest, the most powerful. In a a different account, in the book of Matthew, James and John's mom, now James and John's dad was named Zebedee. James and John were known as the sons of thunder. That's kind of exciting, right? I mean, who, who doesn't want to be known as a son of thunder? So the thunder boys don't have the courage, they get their mama. So they're sons of thunder, but their mama's boys. And they get their mama, and their mama runs to Jesus one day, and she falls down before him, and Jesus says, Woman, what you want? He says, Jesus, would you say to these two sons of mine to sit one at your right and one at your left when you come into your kingdom? You see, the disciples were still misunderstanding the mission of Christ. They really believed. That they were going to be ruling with authority
1: and power.
0: And Jesus says, woman, you have no idea what you're asking. It is not for me to grant. But beyond that, to be seated with me is not going to be in a place of honor
1: in this world. It's going to be a place of despair. So the disciples argue about who is the greatest. And the Bible says they come into a house. They eat some dinner.
0: And then they sit down. Now the Bible doesn't waste words. So when the Bible tells us Jesus sits down, this isn't just like casual. They want us to understand that Jesus has assumed a formal teaching position. He's he's called the class to order. He wants to make sure that they don't misunderstand this time. And he sits them all down And he looks at them and he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And suddenly these disciples go, whoa, this isn't what we were wanting. No, you don't understand, Jesus. We're going to have servants under us. We're going to make a command and they're going to go do whatever because you're going to be the king and we're going to be your princes. Jesus, don't you understand? And then Jesus takes it to another place. He brings a child. They're in a house. He calls one of the kids over. Sloan, come here. Sloan's not a good Hebrew name, but let's just go with it. And he sits them down. Maybe he wipes their nose. And the kid's going all crazy because of what kids do. And he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now look, we live in a child-centered culture, which is, for the record, not always a good thing. We live in a child-centered culture. And in our child-centered culture, we tend to make children the center of the world, okay? Now, in ancient Israel, this would have been very, very far from normal. Children were on the periphery, speak-when-spoken-to kind of deal. Keep them outside and leave me alone, and when they get old enough, we'll, we'll let them work the fields, But Jesus takes this child and he brings this child in among the men. And he says, no, no, no. It's not about your wife cleaning the child and receiving the child. This isn't the moms. He says, if you want to be great in
1: my kingdom, you will take in a child. He says, how far are you willing to go? Jesus came to seek and to save. Listen here. Kings don't
0: seek and save in this day and time. In that day and time, kings sat on their thrones and people bowed down to them. Jesus is different. He came as a servant seeking out his lost sheep. To his disciples, he says, you've got it all wrong. He who would be first would be last. And if you want to be great, you won't just receive the great into your home. If you want to be great, you will put a child on your knee and you will love them. Jesus says, in my kingdom, it's not about using others to move up the ladder. Serving in Jesus' kingdom means caring for the weak and the vulnerable, as well as you would for the mighty and the powerful. In Jesus' kingdom, it's about the alien and the orphan and the widow. It's about caring for those who can't care for themselves. Jesus, Jesus is going to take it even further on the night When he would be betrayed as he bows down and washes his disciples' feet. See, Jesus moves his teaching from merely hearing to action. Again, James 19 is helpful as James urges us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Don't misunderstand the mission of Jesus. He didn't come to make you powerful. He came to set you and the world around you free. He came to give you a hope and a future. And folks, we've got to do the hard things, but realize... They're not hard in a physical sense. They're just hard in the sense that they aren't normally the things that we want. Listen, he's called you to go to the lost and the least and to serve them. He's called you to go to the lost and the least and serve them. He's called you to take him at his word, to believe him. He says
1: we are to believe him even when it's hard.
0: See, He's called you to care for aliens and orphans and widows, but He's also called you to believe. Really believe Him, to trust Him, to lean on Him. See, when we talk about serving in the name of Jesus, He's calling us to do hard things. Why? Why? Because becoming last instead of striving to be first that sort of grates against our person. None of us want to be a doormat. None of us want to be walked on. None of us want to serve the nursery when we could be serving the king. None of us want to serve the homeless when we could be serving in the governor's mansion. And Jesus says, He who be greatest in my kingdom would be last. Jesus turns the world upside down. And he turns our natural inclinations over on their head. Because in Jesus' economy, it's not about what you can do to get ahead. It's about all that he's done on your behalf. You see, being big in Jesus' world forces us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. To believe the things that the world tells us couldn't possibly be true. See, the hardest thing I'm convinced that we ever do is to actually take Jesus at his word. To believe him fully and completely. And so this morning, as we finish up, what are the hard things for you? See, the disciples' hard thing was this. They couldn't get past the idea that Jesus was going to kill Caesar and give them a place to serve. The disciples couldn't get over the idea that they were going to be rulers And as a result, even when Jesus spoke plainly to them, they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it because they didn't hear what they wanted to hear. They were listening through filters and they only let in the truths that they wanted. And this morning, I want to urge you to take the filters away from your ears and your heart. I want you to reject the lies that have been told to you, the lies that you've told to yourself, perhaps the lies that Satan's whispered into your ears. And I want you to believe some really hard things about Jesus. I want you to believe that he is a king, not like the other kings. He actually came to seek and save the lost. That's right, to seek them out. To hunt them
1: down, to get down in the mud and the muck and to find them wherever they were and to bring them home. I want you to believe that he called you to do hard things. He did hard things on your behalf. What are your hard things
0: today? Maybe your hard thing is to love your neighbor, but you have to because Jesus said so. Maybe it's hard for you to love the Lord this morning, but you need to. Because he will give you a place at his table. Maybe it's hard for you to hear a command to honor your father and mother because they did you wrong. Yeah, but what do you communicate to the world when you love those who don't deserve your love? But, oh, here it is. For some of you. For some of you, it's hard to hear that God loves you. Folks, you need to believe that God loves you. And God loves you right where you are. And it doesn't matter if that's hard for you to hear. He's going to keep speaking those words over you. You say, I'm too dirty. Jesus says, dirt, I don't care. He loves you dirty as you are, and he cleans you up. You see, this is the love of God. It's a hard love. You see, the love of God isn't a wedding day kind of love. Yes, he's going to invite us to the wedding feast, but wedding day love is easy, right? It's pretty. It's clean. It's beautiful. Wedding day love is awesome. There's perfect lighting. There's candles. There's cake. We all love wedding day love. Nobody gets divorced on their wedding day. Because it's easy to love on those days. God loves us with a different kind of love, though. He loves us with, like, God loves us with, like, the hospice kind of love
1: or the disabled child kind of love. He loves us enough to clean us up when we can't clean ourselves. He loves us enough to spoon-feed us when we can't lift the spoon. God loves you with an Alzheimer's kind of love because He loves you even when you don't know to love Him back.
0: See, one of the great problems with the disciples is up until the time that Jesus rose from the dead, they just completely misunderstood the mission. See, so often they got the mission of Jesus confused with their own mission and ambition. And what they didn't understand is all the while Jesus wasn't trying to turn them into a fighting force. Jesus was saving them from themselves. And saving the world through them. See, I don't want you to misunderstand the mission this morning. He didn't die to make you powerful. Listen, listen.
1: He died to make you his. He died to take you from death to life, from alien to orphan,
0: or from from alien and orphan to adopted. He died to
1: set the world right. And watch, he starts with you. He loves you.
0: Originally, I had wrestled with titling this sermon, Do You Have a Childlike Faith? I changed and I went back and forth with it. But maybe I should have lived right there because the reality is this children take us at our word, they believe us. Sometimes they believe us too easily. They'll believe I can give them the moon and the stars and everything in between. Their belief is simple and pliable. And Jesus calls on us to have a childlike faith. Not to be ignorant or uninformed, but to be willing to take him at his word. You say, but it just seems too good to be true. Could God really love me that much? Would He really take me right here? And that's why we're to have a childlike faith. Not an ignorant faith. Not an uninformed or an uneducated faith. But a faith that says this. If He says He
1: will, then He will. But you don't understand, and it doesn't matter. He loves you just as you are. He wants you to be His. This
0: morning, would you come and receive Jesus? Would you take God at His word? Would you believe Him? Would you listen even when it's hard? Because for some of you, it's hard to hear those words, I love you. Would you? Would you be willing to ask the hard questions? Because it's okay. God, how could you love me? (laughs) Maybe you, you might get a reply like this How could I not? Are you want to do the hard things? To take that step of faith and to say, God, I believe you. I trust you. I'm going to put aside all of my misgivings and all of my arguments. And I'm going to trust. Some of you have never known Christ and day can be the day. Some of you, though, last thing. Some of you are followers of Jesus. And you need to be reminded today that God loves you. God loves you. You failed, okay. You couldn't cast out that demon on your own, alright. You couldn't win an argument with the scribes and the Pharisees, okay. As a matter of fact, you failed so bad that you caused division in your church, or you caused division in your family. You've been argumentative. You've been demanding things from Jesus. You wanted to be on top of the world, okay. He loves you anyway. You see, you're still his. You see, the disciples argued. And Jesus didn't kick him out of the house. What did he do? He sort of fulfilled a passage out of the book of the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon says, He's brought me into his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. Oh, Jesus took these disciples who completely misunderstood and argued with him. And he brought them into the table. And they ate a meal together. His banner over them was love. And he sat them down. And he said, I'm not finished with you. He's not finished with you either. Perhaps you'd come this morning and pray. Perhaps you'd like to come and i pray over you. Perhaps today you'd like to come and give your life to Jesus. However it is that the Lord may be working in your life, I would urge you, invite him in. Allow him to do the work in your heart. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would work among us. pray that your word would be powerful to us and through us. Forgive us, Lord God, when we have sinned. Oh, and God, for those among us who just have a hard time believing it's possible that they could be loved at all by the King of the universe, I pray that today you would wrap them in the arms of love and assure them even as we sing that there's room at the foot of the cross for them. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't... He died to set you free. His gift is yours. Would you come today?